You can turn over to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to take a little portion of Scripture here and just kind of look at it almost in an introductory way. But uh, we find ourselves at the end of the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5. And uh, Jesus kind of directs His attention away from, you might say, the multitudes that were gathered there on the hillside. And uh, probably called his disciples closer at this point and was, for the most part, talking directly to them, um, kind of closing out the multitudes around him. And, and uh, we see there in verse 13 what he says. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lampstand and put it a lamp and put it under a basket, but a lamp but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I was reading the commentary this last week and had this illustration and I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, he spoke of a magazine who carried a uh, season or a series of pictures at one point in this one ad that they had, and uh, it depicted one of the saddest stories that you'd ever see. It was a picture. The first one was of a of a vast wheat field in the plains in Kansas on a western farm somewhere, and from horizon to horizon, all you saw in this picture was wheat fields waving in the wind, towering wheat fields. And the second picture was a mother in distress inside her farmhouse in the middle of this wheat field. And uh, she had a small boy who had somehow wandered away from the house and into that huge wheat field. And this little fellow was so small that he couldn't see over the wheat, uh, over the wheat himself and he couldn't be seen by anybody and they, she couldn't find him. And so she called her husband to her side and the two of them searched all day for that little boy and they finally decided that they should call in the neighbors, the local farmers, and uh, they all began to search frantically throughout these wheat fields with no success at all. And they knew the little boy was too small to be seen above, or to, to be able to see above the wheat, and uh, he couldn't find his way out, obviously. And so the picture, second picture there, depicted her in this great distress. And the third picture showed all the people who had heard of the little boy being lost, and they gathered in the morning and they joined hands, and hand to hand they went combing through these wheat fields one by one in this great big long chain of humanity. And they, they all had their hands linked together and they thought the only way they could find this small boy is to just go through uh, systematically um, throughout these wheat fields. And they swept one field to the next. And the last picture in this series of pictures in this magazine he talked about was a real heartbreaker. He said that in the picture it showed the father standing over the body of his little son and they finally found him, but he was dead. It was too late. The cold night <clears throat> had claimed his victim, and underneath the final picture of the weeping father were these words, O oh God, if we had only joined hands sooner. And you know, that's really a picture of what Jesus wants us to do as a church, as individuals. Jesus says in his word that he looked out in the fields and he said that they're white unto what? Harvest. But the laborers are few. Um, I really believe that 
So you look out at these four walls and into the community in which we live, we see lost men, we see lost women, we see lost boys and girls everywhere. And they can't find themselves out of the wheat field. They can't find their way out of the wheat field. And uh, they can't find their way home uh, to the Father's house. They can't do it. They can't see above the weed of the world. It's just too big for them. And they're perishing in the night of sin. And when this cold morning dawns, it's going to be too late. And we need to stop and we need to consider that. And I really believe in this text, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus is really putting a call onto us to stop what you're doing, join hands, be the salt, be the light, sweep through the fields of the lost and dying world that live all around us, and allow your influence somehow, through your message, have an impact with the impact of Christ. I don't think one person can do it. I don't think one evangelist can do it. I don't think even a handful of people can do it. You, you can't. You, it, it has to take a whole church, not just this church, a whole church, to be that collective salt, to be that light that Jesus is talking about here. You know that if you had one grain of salt, it pretty much would be useless. I don't know of anybody who has sat down at the dinner table and said, hey, could you pass the salt? And you pass them the salt and they put one grain on their hand and they drop it on their meal. I just never have seen that. That would be ridiculous. You'd never even taste it. One grain of salt doesn't do a whole lot of good. Just like light is a combination of fluorescence, we need to combine our efforts as the salt of the world and we need to sweep through the world and reach out to a lost and dying world that, with the message that Jesus has given us. Um, we're the salt and light to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he follows, what's interesting, he follows that message with, um, or he follows the message of the Beatitudes with this kind of uh, command here, to be the salt, to be the light. And it's not just happenstance that it, it, it happens that way in our text. Remember, the Beatitudes were not just a list of things that we have to do. They're just not a list of things, okay, I have to be merciful, I have to be you know, humble, I have to be pure of heart. No, it's a whole. It's a, you have to take them as a whole. And as you take them as a whole, you have to look at that and say, what's he talking about? He's talking about character. He's talking about someone who has the life of Christ, the transform, transforming power of Christ within him, because there's no way that you could live out the Beatitudes if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, once you come to the point in your life where you realize you're nothing but a, a filthy, rotten sinner and you've come to Christ and He's transformed you into what He wants you to be, now, that, now that's something God can work with. And that's really where He wants it. And sometimes we get so comfortable in our Christianity, in our small groups and in our church and everything, we forget that there's a, a world that's lost and dying out there on their way to hell. And we're the only hope that they have. And the Lord says here clearly that you have something to do. You notice there when He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's, it's, it's very emphatic in the original language. He's not saying, well, I guess you could be if you wanted to be. No. I mean, he's, it's, it's, it's almost like it reads this way. You are the only salt of the entire earth that they have. You're the only hope. You're the only light that they have. And that kind of presumes something that this, law, this world is lost and dying and, and on its way to hell. It's, 
it's, it's a sad situation. And so many times as churches, we reach out politically. We try to, you know, reach out and be involved in certain things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be as individuals, but that's not the answer either. The answer is seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Christ. It's not going to get easier, beloved. I mean, that's why so many times there's, there's people that we kind of get um, accustomed to, you know, hearing them say, well, we need to pass this legislation. We need to do this. We need to do that. I'm all for going to the voting booth and making your voice be heard as a, as a good American and, and voting your conscience. But that's not going to transform hearts. You know, I don't think really God cares who's the president of the United States. That's probably the last thing on his mind. He really doesn't. And sometimes we get sucked into this political stuff so much that that becomes the, the, the thrust of an entire church sometimes. And that's not going to change it. You know, the next president, whether it's, whether it's Hillary or whoever, it's not going to make any difference. Things are going to continue to spiral out of control. And see, sometimes we need to stop and say, hey, you know what? That's true. We're the only hope that this lost and dying world has. And it doesn't matter how mature you are in Christ or what your age is physically. It doesn't matter whether you work a job 9 to 5 every day or, or 7 days a week or you go to junior high or high school. It doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, what Jesus is saying here, you're the salt of the earth. You're the only salt that it has. Now you stop and you think about salt in and of itself. Salt has some different characteristics. I mean, it, it, it's, it's tasty, right? You look at it and people say, oh, well, and what Jesus was saying is we need to be you know, pure. Salt is pure. It's white. I don't think that's what he's saying here. I don't think he's necessarily saying that you have to be tasty in the earth either. I mean, there's churches that try to do that. They try to appeal to everybody and their brother and they compromise everything. And they, they, in, in the end, they actually become tasteless. There, there's no discernment of theology. There's nothing because they don't want to offend anybody. I don't think he's talking about that either. I think really the, the concept that Jesus has in mind here, the one characteristic about salt is that it preserves. And I think what he's saying is, you know what, you're the only hope that this world has if it's going to continue at all. And eventually, even that's not going to work. But when we come to this text, a lot of us are used to being told that our calling as salt and light primarily references our good works. What Jesus is saying here is you have to go out in a lost and dying world and, and live a righteous life and do all these good works and eventually that will change the world. And so you have people who are very much involved in a social gospel and they're feeding the hungry, which is great. They're doing orphanages. They're doing all these programs. Which is, that's good. That's, the world needs that. But that doesn't transform a heart. See, the world would love for us to go out and do good works in our little part of society and just shut up. Don't say anything about Christ. You go out and you try to do good works in the name of Christ and what's going to happen? They're going to retaliate. The world is very happy to honor Christians who live lives of superior goodness as long as they just keep their mouths shut. <laughs> you know, you can't be out there saying, you know, Jesus is the only way. You can't say that stuff. See, and we bought into that whether it's at our job or whether it's at our schools or whether wherever it is. It's not politically correct. I mean, just stop and think. There are myriads and myriads of Christians who do good works and they're honored for their good works. And rightfully so. 
But a lot of times, a lot of those folks are honored because they haven't been bold about proclaiming Christ. There was a magazine article several years ago in Time, and it read, Missionaries Undercover. And, you know, I don't know if you like Time Magazine or not, but you can really you read that magazine. It's kind of the spirit of the age. There's a lot of weird stuff in there and one-sided stuff, but it just shows you where the world is. And one of them was this missionary named Edward Miller, and he was serving in Iraq at the time, and he was providing food for Iraqi psychiatric patients, the, the article went on to say. And the article said this, and it was kind of, it was, it was, it was kind of impressive to find that some missionaries are looked upon favorably by the world, and that's what this magazine was all about. And so the article went on, and it said one thing is not uh, one thing is not on his to-do list. Talking about this missionary, and that's evangelize. Back in Baghdad, Mennonite community employee Miller feels no impulse at all to share his faith with his clients. He says, you have to realize that Christianity has been part of the Middle East for 2,000 years. People here know all about my religion. I don't need to explain it. I don't feel I have anything more to teach the Muslims than they have to teach me. And he's out there doing good works in the name of Christ. The name of the article, by the way, was Keeping the Faith Without Preaching It. <laughs> See, the reason Missionary Miller is no danger, in no danger of being persecuted for Jesus' sake is because he neglected the testimony of the Gospel. He may even win the world's applause that way. But can he be salt? Can he be light? Those verses that we read just now, 13 to 16, Jesus here is kind of drawing an analogy, a proverb in a way, and he, he, he's talking to his disciples, and he makes his true disciples the subject, the salt and the light, and he makes the fallen world, the world in which we live in, the setting of his little parable. And you can go on and on and read commentary after commentary of what exactly Jesus is saying here. But the main point is abundantly clear, I think, as we read this. We are to be as Christians in marked contrast to the world. We're not to just blend in with the world. We're to be in marked contrast to the world. You stop and you think of salt itself. Salt contrasts with bland food. Light contrasts with darkness. That's the illustration he's pulling out here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said, What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And the answer is kind of none. <laughs> Absolutely none. Light and darkness can't abide together because they're opposites to one another. And that's what Jesus' point is here. That's why he's saying you'll be persecuted. If you live out this Christian life of the Beatitudes, you better get ready because when you do that, you're going to be persecuted. But in spite of that, you're still called to be an influencing change in the world. The second point there I think he's looking at is that we're not only in contrast with the world, but I think Jesus is saying you're a marked improvement over the world. I mean, 
why do you put salt on your food? Because you hate it? Because it makes it feel yucky? I've never had someone put salt on their... I just hate salt. Yeah, give me some of that salt. And, oh, it just tastes horrible. You wouldn't do that. I mean, maybe you don't like salt. Well, you don't put it on there. But people that like salt or people that can eat salt, they do it for a benefit. They do it because they feel it brings out the flavor of the food. It makes a bland food tasty. And light contrasts with darkness for the benefit of those who are in darkness. Just like salt contrasts with bland food. Light helps those who are in darkness. Our, our grandchildren just left last week, and I think it was last week or the week before, we were, had the, I had the privilege of staying in the room with the two kids, Sophie and Mason, as they slept. And so we had, you know, we just have... Uh, little blinds on the windows, but it gets it was getting light early in the morning and we didn't want them to wake up, so we put towels over the windows and trying to keep it dark in there, you know, so they'd sleep maybe a little longer. Um, and it didn't matter at night when they went to bed because it was dark, but I noticed that when I'd go in there, sometimes Mason would be awake. And I'd first when I first walked into the room, it seemed dark in there. But as I laid down next to my grandson, you know, He'd start talking, and all of a sudden your eyes would adjust, and it's pretty bright in there. Even though the lights were turned out, the computer was off. And I started thinking, why is it so light in here? What's causing this light? And you know your little modem, the little flashing lights? It was lighting up the whole room. But it didn't seem that way when I first walked in there because it seemed dark. But after your eyes adjusted, all of a sudden just this little diode on this little modem was lighting up the whole room. And it was hard for Mason to go to sleep. So eventually I'd put a towel over it at night just to make sure that it was dark so that we could rest. See, just as a little salt goes a long way to flavoring a recipe or a meal, and just as very little light is necessary to penetrate darkness, you don't need a lot of light to penetrate darkness. Even so, just a few genuine Christians, somebody who's really living out their faith in a community, improves greatly the morale of the whole society. But now notice, when he says here, talking about the light, he doesn't equate the light with good works. In verse 16, he says, the light illuminates the good works. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, the light, that means that that's our good works. That's what's going on. No, he's not saying that at all. He's basically telling us that, you know what, as, as the light illuminates and allows people to see, what are they supposed to see? They're to see your lives. They're to see the good works that Christ is doing in you and through you. And therefore, they can give glory to who? To you? No. To our Father in heaven. What is it that lights up our works to the glory of God? What is it that allows people to be awakened to the glory of God in our lives. The more I look at this passage, the more I came to believe that our verbal testimony to Jesus Christ is what illumines the works and causes them to be for the praise of His glory. See, there's many people out there in the world doing works. And the, the world would look at their works and say, boy, they're good works. But they don't glorify God. 
Who do they glorify? They glorify the person doing the works. Why is that? Because they have no verbal testimony for Christ. Good works by themselves are not the light. They are to be illuminated by the words that direct our attention and our tribute to the Lord Jesus Christ. So salt also, as it's used throughout the New Testament, is really a picture for speech rather than works. It's always a picture for uh, of, of, of how we speak. In Colossians chapter 4, just turn over there. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. Colossians 4, verses 3 to 6. Paul writes, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then he says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be seasoned with what? Grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul is telling us here that he, we need to be gracious in our speech and we need to season it with salt. The context is speech that makes manifest the mystery of Christ, the manifestation of the gospel. That's what he's talking about, talking about sharing our faith. It was his speech that got Paul chained and put in prison. Paul just wasn't out there helping people and they said, oh, we don't like people, we're going to throw you in prison. No, what was it that got thrown in prison? He got thrown in prison because of his speech. He was able to speak the gospel of Christ. And when they threatened him, he continued to do it. That's why they threw him in jail. You would think that Paul would be asking for prayer to be delivered from this prison. I mean, that's what probably you or I would do. But for him, it was far more important to make manifest the gospel to those who needed to hear it. Where were they? They were in the prison. <laughs> and his attitude was, hey, well, I ended up in here, so I'm just going to continue to preach. See, it's salty speech that results in persecution for Christ's sake, even today. <clears throat> it's not bland speech. It's not beating around the bush speech. It's not a speech that says, well, I know that, you know... Um, you're in this error teaching church, but it's, you know, I'm sure you love Jesus. That's not salty speech. That's not going to point out, that's not going to lead people to the truth at all. It's going to leave them right where they're at. And some people, that's, that's what they want. Third point here is, is both Proverbs kind of have a lot in common. <clears throat> a lot of us, you look at this and you know we focus in on, oh, the salt's losing its flavor. And when he says there, you know, if it loses its flavor, what good is it? But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
And people conclude, well, see, that's, that's a believer that's not living the Christian life and, and God's going to throw him in hell because you know, he's losing his salvation. That's ridiculous. It has nothing to do with that. It's not saying that at all. It says right there very simply that if it, 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 if it loses its flavor, if you stop and you think about salt, have you ever taken a piece of salt and put it in your mouth and said, hmm, this doesn't taste salty? Have you ever gone to the store and got salt and put it on your thing? And I mean, you can let salt rot in the cupboard. I mean, there's salt over here in the fellowship hall. It's probably been there for years. And we break it out every potluck and put it on there and it's salt. It doesn't turn into sugar. It doesn't taste like candy. It tastes like salt because that's what it is. See, the fact is, is that salt should never lose its flavor, nor does it. Any more than light should lose its light. It's impossible. Salt is salty. Light is light. It can't be anything else. But he does point out to find salt without saltiness and light without light. It's kind of ironic. <laughs> So also it's unthinkable that a follower of Jesus Christ would be without a clear testimony of His glory. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is something that just should not be. Salt never really loses its flavor. Salt is salt. Light is light. Light never becomes darkness. And he's saying if you're living out the Beatitudes, if you're doing what I've called you to do, if you're being filled with the Spirit and you're acting upon my Word on a daily basis, you're going to be effectual for change in the world in which is dying and, 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 and lost and on its way to hell. You're going to be the only hope they have. You're going to be the only preservative that's left. And if you're not going to be the preservative, there is none. There's absolutely none. That's how important it was for Christ to get this message across. You stop and you say here, he says, not only the salt of the world, but he also says they're, they're salt of the earth. And earth basically is the whole earth. It's not part of the earth. It's, it's humanity is what he's speaking of there. And when salt loses its flavor, how can you take a cup of salt and make it taste less salty? There's ways you can do that, right? How would you do it? You'd mix it with something, right? Usually, you know, when I'm making um, uh, chocolate chip cookies or even custard sometimes at home, the recipe always calls for a, a bit of salt. And I thought, hey, I don't want salt in my custard. That just sounds gross. But you know what? You don't put the salt in there, something happens. And I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't come out right. So you've got to put this little bit of salt in there. You've got to put a little bit of salt in the cookies. You know, you don't take a chocolate chip cookie out of the oven and grab, hey, give me some salt. Oh, good. Ah, that'd be great. You don't do that. But you know what? It has salt in it. But what happens? The salt becomes absorbed. And so all of a sudden, it kind of loses its saltiness. It's still, it's still adding flavor. It's just not as dominant as it was if it was pure salt. And that's the way salt loses its flavor. It becomes diluted. It becomes polluted with other nutrients, with other spices. And what he's saying clearly is, you know what? Don't allow that to happen to you. 
If you want to be the salt of the earth, the only hope that it has, make sure that your life is pure. Make sure that you're pure in heart, that you're merciful, that you're, you're a peacemaker. All those things that he just spoke of. Don't allow yourselves to be polluted by this world. And it's very easy. It happens overnight before we even know it. We start to compromise in certain areas of our lives. And pretty soon, you know, it's, it's, you know we're, we're off on a wrong track. And we're doing things that are not right before the Lord. It doesn't just happen, you know, uh, just as a, you know, one day this day that way. No, it, it, it's a process. Satan's not stupid. He wants us to compromise our lives. He wants us to become more like the world. He wants us to get our focus off of God and off of heaven and on this earth. That's what he wants. Because if he can do that, then we're going to be distracted from where it really matters spiritually. If he can get us all focused on our little Bible studies here and there and, and forget about the guy at the grocery store that's dying and going to hell and forget about the neighbor across the street that doesn't know Christ, and that's okay, it's okay, you know. And then we'll even throw in some theology on top of that. You know, well, those who are chosen are chosen and, and that kind of eases our conscience a little bit. So then we just lay back in the armchairs of grace and say, well, you know, God's got that under control. If I'm not an evangelist, so be it. But beloved, God calls us as individuals to take the message of the gospel out of these four walls and to become an, a, 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 a method of change in our societies, in our work environments, in our schools. And the only way I know to do that, you can go out there and be nice to people all day long. That's not going to give them the gospel of Christ. I've never yet tried that method of evangelism with somebody, and they came up to me, and they said, Oh, you know what? Um, you're just such a nice guy. Tell me about Jesus. It's never happened. It's never happened. And it never will happen. You know, people need to hear the gospel, and they need to not only see it in our lives, that is true. We don't want to go out there and preach a, a word, and, and our, our lives are all messed up. But we want to make sure that our, our lives are, are kind of geared up with our, our, our lips, so we're saying and doing the same thing. But you know what? The message of the gospel, that's where the power of salvation is. It's not in how we live our lives. It's not in that. Now, that's important. But you know what? If you were to take the gospel to somebody who's yet to hear it and God's working in their heart, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what you've done that day. If God's going to work in their heart, He's going to work in their heart. Because it's the message, not the messenger, that really matters. Sometimes we get that reversed, and so, you know, we become a Christian, and then, you know, we think, well, you know, I can't say anything because I really don't know anything. Well, if you don't know anything, then you're not saved. <laughs> you have to know something to be saved, right? You have to know that you're a sinner and that God died, died for your sins, and, and that, you know, he, he caused you to believe in Him, and so you, you yielded your life to Him. That's the gospel message. That's what you relate to people. And that's what we're called to do in a bold way. And we need to remember that. And I'm preaching myself as well. And so we all need to remember that. So that's the idea of salt. As far as the light is, you know, you stop and you think about what he says here. You are the light of the world. I mean, throughout John's gospel, who is the light of the world? Christ. <laughs> right? Not us. But here, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, speaking to his disciples. John describes Jesus with these words in John 1.9. He was the true light which comes into the world, enlightens every man. Jesus himself said in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. If Jesus is the light of the world, why does he say then in verse 
14 of chapter 5, you are the light of the world. Does that mean there's two lights? What's going on here? We can't all be the light of the world. I mean, that's kind of common sense. John is very explicit about even saying about John the Baptist. In John 1.8, he says, John the Baptist was not the light. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. And so John was always very careful to kind of make sure that everybody understood that there was one light, and that light was Jesus Christ, none other. And Jesus answers this question for us in John 8.12. He says in John 8.12, this is what he said, He who follows me shall what? Shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, the disciple of Jesus has the light in himself because he is in Christ. Who is the light of the world? You're the light of the world because Christ is in you. And he is the light. And the converse of that, obviously, is that Jesus' disciples are the light of the world. Is that the, the world is in darkness. You can't, you know, if you don't have darkness, you don't have light. I mean, it's, it's kind of an important thing. Light dispels darkness. How is it possible for someone to go from darkness into having the light? And Jesus calls you and he calls myself and others to place our faith in him. Because he had, we, Jesus understood, he goes, I died for you. I died for your sins according to the scriptures. I was buried. I rose the third day according to the scriptures seen by many witnesses. And when you place your faith in that fact that Jesus and His death on the cross was for you, He promises us eternal life. And then you will have the light of life. That's what Jesus is communicating here. The followers of Jesus are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, therefore He can call us the light of the world. Kind of an important point. So we're described as salt, we're described as light. And he's describing us. Or is he describing our works? What's he describing here? See, the longer you look at this passage, I really don't believe that Jesus is strictly describing either words or works. He's really talking about something that goes even beyond that. He's talking about kind of an inner transformation of the character that takes place. Because what he's saying here, Christian, you know what? You are the salt. You're the only salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not what you say. Not what you do. But you who are in Christ are considered the salt and the light of the world. And when Jesus says, let your lights so shine before men so that they may see your good works, I don't think he means that we should do our works visibly before men. Because in the same sermon, if you turn over a couple pages in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, he's talking to them and he says, do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them that your charitable deeds may be done in secret. So that would be kind of contradictory if what he's saying here is, oh yeah, go out and just, you know, just live a good life. Not what you do, but who you are in Christ. 
That's what's going to illuminate all of your actions. And that's what's going to allow men to see the good works that Christ is producing in your life. And then they're not going to glorify you. Who are they going to glorify? They're going to glorify God. Because they're going to understand the whole picture. You know, there's not a cult or a man-made religion around that is, 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 is more directly opposed to the teaching of Christ. I mean, because every cult and every man-made religion, whether it's Mormonism, whether it's Islam, any of those, they both teach that charitable deeds should be done publicly as a way to promote the religion. That's what they teach. But they do not permit the testimony of Jesus to be taught. Are they nice people? I'm sure some of them are. See, Jesus' doctrine, however, is rather to hide the charitable deeds and make manifest His testimony. In His own example, if you look at the life of Christ, He lives it out. His practice was to instruct the people to keep when He would heal someone or when He would do a miracle, keep the works quiet. But to proclaim boldly what? The kingdom of God. Don't go tell anybody about this, but proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what He always said. He never told the people, yeah, go down on the corner and you know, just hold up signs and say, I healed you because I want people to come to me. He never did that. See, and when we follow his doctrine and his example, we make our works almost inconspicuous, but his testimony manifests. That's what we're called to do. That's how people will see our good works and will end up glorifying our Father, not us. In John 10, you remember there was a division between the Jews because of what Jesus was saying. And they actually took up stones to kill him. And Jesus asked him in John 10, 19, he says, many good, or uh, 32 to 33, roughly around there, John 10. He said, many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? <laughs> He's saying, okay, you want to stone me for the good works? What are they? But they answered, for a good work we do not stone you, but for what? Blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself... God. See, the question was not what Jesus did or even what he said, but what? But who he was. That's what the question was. That's what really got him in trouble. Not words, not works, but his character, his nature. He was very God and he let that known to people and that upset people. And it's interesting that God calls us salt. He calls us light. He says, you're the only hope that this dying lost world has. For goodness sakes, if you live out the Beatitudes, you're going to be exactly what I called you to be. You're going to be light. You're going to dispel darkness. You're going to be salt. You're going to be a preservative. But the only way we can do that, beloved, is by sharing the gospel of Christ. If you just go out there and live a nice life and are, are, are nice to people and treat them respectfully, not that we shouldn't do that, but if that's all you're going to do as Christians, that's not going to have an impact for Christ. That's just being a good neighbor. That's just being nice. There's unbelievers that, that act that way. See, what changes us as believers is when we manifest the gospel of Christ. Then all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You know? You know, it's, it's fine to go down to the, the, the city council meeting here in, in Redwood City and, and offer up a prayer before the little meeting, as long as you don't mention Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I just kind of said, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, what are you doing this for? You know, it, they're, they're doing this to be seen by men. 
I'm not saying the people that are doing it. I'm just saying the whole idea that, you know, they're doing this. They think, well, it's, it's kind of you know, politically touchy, but it's kind of edgy at the same time. It's spiritual, so we'll have people come in with, without any discernment of what their faith is or whatever and have, us, have a word of prayer and, and do this. You know, it's, that, that's the way of the world. And what happens is they think they're doing good works and, and, and they think that somehow they're, they're, they're inviting God into their presence by this thing. See, I think it's important for us to understand that the interpretation of these little, this little saying here, you're the salt and you're the light, has primarily have to do with outward acts of righteousness rather than this, this inward transformation. That's how people have looked at it over the time. It's just about all the action. It's all outside works. And I think that should be reversed. I think that if you're transformed in Christ, if you're a new believer in Christ, it's not that you're perfect. I mean, we all have our issues. We all have our hang-ups. We all have our sins that, that we commit probably daily. But you know what? There's an inward transformation that's taking place and God says that I am continually molding you and fashioning you into the image of my Son. Are you perfect? No, none of us are. But you know what? That transformation is starting. And hopefully you'll see it kind of flow out into your, your works and into the, the world around you. And we need to be bold for Christ today. That's what he's saying. Nobody likes a, a grain of salt that has no taste. It would be useless. You know, God doesn't have much, much concern for a, quote, Christian who basically isn't bold for Christ. Bland. Just kind of blend in with the world. That's not what He's called us to do. He's called us to affect change in the hearts and lives of people. And that's really what we, we have to do. We're going to look at this a little bit more maybe next week. But I just want to encourage you this morning. You know, it's important that we keep these things in perspective. Um, I think it's important that in our workplaces, we're, we're bold with the gospel of Christ. And you know what? You say, well, you don't understand. I can't be. If I was bold for Christ in my workplace, um, you know, they could fire me. Really? I think you'd have a pretty good lawsuit on your hand if, if a workplace fired you for being a zealous Christian. And I bet you'd probably find a pretty good Christian lawyer that could represent you. You probably, in the end, end up with a lot more money than you have now. But see, in our mind, we think, well, no, I can't, I can't cross that line. People will think ill of me, you know. This, this. So, so we kind of take our faith, we go out in the world, and, and we put it under a bushel. We, we take the light of Christ, and we, we kind of hide it. Because it's just not politically correct to really, you know, that's for Sunday or Wednesday when you were around Christians. It's important, I think, that you know if you lose your job for sharing your faith, praise God. What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful testimony. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. Lord, as we look at being salt and being light, Lord, that's what You called us to be. It's not an option. It's not a, up for discussion. It's not something... If we're a Christian, that's what we are in this world. We're different. We're to be agents of change. And the only way that we can do that is not politically, 
Not by picketing, not by signing petitions. or It's not by even going out in the world and being nice to everybody. Who wouldn't want that? But it's living out what Christ has called us to do. To share, to be faithful, to share the gospel. And I'm not saying we have to go out and pound people over the, Bible, over the head with Bibles. We're to be gracious. We're to be loving. And yet, we're also to be firm with what this message is about. The message is very direct. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we need to cry out to God and, and really give us, Lord, the boldness that we need to share that message and to live it. I think if we shared it a little more, maybe we would be a little more apt to live it because we'd have to live up to what we're sharing. But Father, we thank You this morning. and Lord, we pray that in this world, we know that ultimately we'll, we'll end in a ball of fire and, and there's nothing here that we can do about it, but we can look around and see those who have yet to hear and yet to respond to the Gospel and, and share the Gospel with them. Lord, we pray that You'd give us wisdom as we look at our neighbors, we look at people at the stores, maybe workers that we have, that we, we brush shoulders with daily, maybe even people in our own family who don't know You, Lord, how we can best communicate the Gospel to them. We pray that You'd make us bold. Make us that salt and light You desire us to be. Father, thank You for our time together this morning. pray You bless the rest of the week and the beginning of this week. And, and Lord, just uh, allow us to, to be a light that's um, not hidden under a, a bushel, but shining brightly for You. We thank You and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stay.